0: We we We
1: We don't ask honest questions. It's amazing to me how often this happens, and unfortunately, how often I can function in this way where there's information that I actually really need, but I actually don't want the information because I've already made up my mind. Am I the only one who gets like that? But oftentimes, we really don't want the answers. We just want to feel how we feel. We want to justify our actions.
0: While we tell kids that there's no such thing as a dumb question, you'll see today that people don't always ask honest ones. As Pastor Daniel points out, sometimes people ask questions when they don't really want to know the answer. They're not open to learning or even discussing what you have to say. They've already decided what they think and just want to justify what they're doing. You'll be challenged to consider if you aren't asking honest questions. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 21 as he begins his message when stories work best. Jesus.
1: ever try and get out of going to school with your parents? Can I be honest? I always tried to get out of going to school. I always, and you know, what's amazing for about seven years of middle school and high school between the two, I had perfect attendance. My parents wouldn't let me stay home no matter what I did. No matter how good the story was, No matter how into it I got, no matter how much I milked it, they would never let me stay home. That's really funny though, because now that I'm all grown up, you know, Lynn's parents would let her stay home even if she just had like a little tickle in her throat. And so it's amazing because I watched my boy Obadiah, he can work mom real good. Like he's really good at it. He's like, oh, I feel so so sick, mom. And she's like, oh, you want to stay home? Yeah, I think I should stay home, mom. And I'm looking over at him, you know. And then he'll get that twinkle in his eye, and I'll look at him, and he'll be like, and I'll be like, dude, I'm so on to you. I know exactly what you're doing. But, you know, when you think about stories, you know, oftentimes stories do work best because a story can encapsulate a truth that you need, but the story makes it vivid, you know, whether it's my son acting in such a way that he doesn't have to go to school. Or I remember when I was growing up, you know, I'm all Italian from New Jersey. And my parents used to say things like, you know, because as you're getting older and some of you are teenagers here, you're hearing this stuff from your parents, you know, like your parents are getting concerned about the people who are a part of your life, your friends. And so because I'm all Italian from New Jersey, my dad would grab me and think, "No, Dan, you know, lean over into, he's like, so listen, if all your friends are dumb enough to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge." I don't want you to do that. See, the Brooklyn Bridge, I mean, like, when you're, I mean, it's Brooklyn, you know, it's like the motherland East Coast United States, you know, and the Brooklyn Bridge is, you know, it's a pretty famous bridge, you know, and so what would happen was, is like, the idea of jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge is, my dad was, in effect, he's saying, you know, if your friends are being dumb, don't be dumb with your friends. It was really funny about that, because my dad, way later, like, I still remember that, like, if your friends go jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, don't do it, but I remember my dad later, it's amazing how these things come back to haunt you as parents, Because one day, my father and I were talking about Jesus. And he was saying, oh, you know, I don't really believe in Jesus. And if all my friends, you know, aren't going to be there, then why do I want to oh I'm like, Dad, you told me some really good advice when we were growing up. (laughs) I said, Dad, you told me that if all my friends go to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, I should be smarter and not do that. And you are making the bad mistake of jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge way worse. And he just kind of was like... (sighs) Now, I say that because I get to look forward to Obadiah being in that place a little bit later when my words will come back to haunt me. But sometimes stories work best. I mean, even think of something like Aesop's fables, right? The boy who cried wolf. What's the principle of the boy who cried wolf? Be honest, because remember the boy who cried wolf? I don't want to be a spoiler alert if you never heard the boy who cried wolf. So if you want to, like, preserve that, you just shut your ears, I'll let you take your fingers out of your ears in a second. But the idea was there's this little shepherd boy, and the villagers needed to know when a wolf was there because their livelihood was at stake. And so the boy said, oh, this could be really, really fun. He said, there's a wolf here, and everyone freaks out, but there was no wolf. And this happened a number of times, and this boy was getting chest up but he wasn't learning the lesson, and then ultimately, there was really a wolf. And he said, there's a wolf here, and everyone ignored him because he had been crying wolf the whole time. See, there's these stories that kind of grab your heart, and Jesus was a master of using stories. In the Bibles, they're called parables, because the word parable, it literally it's two Greek words that are kind of slammed together in the Greek language: para and balo. Now, I'm explaining this to you, so you can impress your friends, or if you're playing Trivial pursuit and you want to know this stuff. The word balo, we get our English word ball from, right? Para means alongside, so. A parable, a parabolo is when you throw something alongside something else. That's where the word comes from. So Jesus takes these huge truths and instead of just explaining them, he will take this truth and he'll throw it alongside in a story to help people understand. And sometimes Jesus does it because he's given someone a hard time. And we're gonna see that today. So I'm really excited to share this text with you. Open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. Matthew 21, 23 to 32. Grab that Bible, open up, or if you have some sort of a device with any sort of intelligence, you can type in Matthew 21, verses 23 to 32, and for those of you who are part of our campuses online, don't forget to open up another browser window. We're excited that we get to study this passage together. Now, I'm going to be picking up in verse 23, and we're at the point in Jesus's ministry now where it's, it's the boiling point in his ministry, and you're going to see as I read this first section, you're gonna see that Jesus is at that, it's crisis time now. It's all coming down to the apex point of Jesus's ministry. So look at what it says in verse 23. It says, and when he, Jesus, came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In verse 24, but Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? Is it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, then he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? But if we say to him from men, we fear the multitude. For all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, in context, we find that Jesus is teaching, and at this point he is in Jerusalem at the uh, just a, a few pages back in Matthew 21. At the beginning of the chapter, we find that Jesus has his, what we commonly call the triumphal entry, where Jesus is going into Jerusalem, and there's great fanfare, and people are waving palm branches, and they're laying their clothes out on the ground, and they're saying Hosanna, which is Hebrew for save now, blessed is the person who comes in the name of the Lord, and there's all this stuff going on, and then Jesus, after he comes in, and that whole event was Jesus being heralded as the promised king, the Messiah, The idea of putting your clothes on the ground meant we are your loyal subjects. The waving the palm branches, it spoke of all of creation shouting out, the Messiah is here. But not content with that, Jesus, after this happens, walks right into the temple and he begins to handle the merchants and the money changers in there. He starts overturning tables. See, if Jesus was unpopular with the religious elite before that moment, that moment when Jesus is in there overturning tables in the temple, that was it. Because that was how... These folks made their money. They made money on the fact that the children of Israel needed to bring sacrifices, and they would have money changers in there, and they would give them lousy exchange rates, and people would bring their offerings to offer to the Lord as an act of worship, and they would say, oh, you can't use that one. That one right there, that's got some blemishes. You can't have that one, right? And so if Jesus was unpopular before, between the triumphal entry and what Jesus did in the temple, now he is in trouble, So it says here that as he was speaking, the chief priests and the elders. Now, what's amazing is what we realize, this is a very high level issue that Jesus is having. The chief priests were the high temple functionaries. They were the elevated members of the priestly class. These weren't just the priests. These were the chief priests. These were the most important of the most important priests. And not only that, you have also the elders now. The elders of the people. So obviously, these were the non-priestly members of what they called the Sanhedrin, which was their large council. They weren't of the priestly class, but they were of almost like the ruling elite. And so they both come and they interrupt Jesus in the midst of his teaching with a question. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? See, Jesus is right up in their business. And they want to know, by what right can you do this? Who gave you the right to do this? By what authority do you do this? And Jesus, because he wants to get to the heart of the matter, that's why we're calling this series Real Talk, because Jesus always wants to "Let's let's get right to the heart of the matter, right? He says to them, I will ask you one thing. And if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Don't you love Jesus in this moment? Because you think, I mean, there's the, the chief priests are there, right? The elders are the people. These are the bigwigs in this culture, and they're demanding an answer. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah? Well, how about this? I ask you one question. If you tell me, I'll tell you. Now, even though this isn't the point of what I want to make, I want to make this point that oftentimes as Christians, people want to confront us about our beliefs, right? And oftentimes in the name of Jesus, we don't confront them right back, But that's not us learning from Jesus. Because Jesus was not afraid to say, okay, if you're going to hold my beliefs and you're going to go over them with a fine-tooth comb and push me up against the wall, well, I can do that too. And oftentimes I think what we do as believers is people want to challenge our beliefs, but we don't actually challenge them on their beliefs. And I'm not saying we should be aggressive or mean. I just think that Jesus really digs a level playing field. And I think for some of you, I want to encourage you to get a little nasty. I did say that. Some of you are like, did he just really say that? Yeah, I I said it. Because sometimes we're just too nice. They're shredding your beliefs and they're asking you a million hard questions and you have a million hard questions about their beliefs, but you're like, I better not say anything. No, see, Jesus isn't like that. He's like, okay, how about this? And I love doing this. I'm also from New Jersey, so I do this. It comes kind of natural. That someone will be like, well, let's talk about this. Like, okay, well, so we'll talk about it, but let's, we talk about this? Because what you're saying is this, this, and this, you're way too smart to believe that. I love saying stuff like that to people because it's a compliment and a challenge all wrapped up. You know, they're like, I'm he thinks I'm smart. Oh, you know, I'm like, so you got to think through that, buddy. But Jesus, he levels the playing field. He's like, how about this? You, you, got, you got questions? I got a question for you. And if you answer my question, I'll answer yours, right? But their question is, is by what authority do you do this? Who gave you this authority? And here's the principle. My brother sisters, listen, you need to make sure that you ask honest questions. You need to make sure you ask honest questions. Because what we're going to find here is the chief priests and the elders, they really don't want the answer. They're really not interested in finding the answer. The question is not Honest. They're just trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to find a way to malign this guy. They don't really want to know the answer. And if we take a moment and look at our own lives, oftentimes we don't ask honest questions. Oftentimes the questions that we ask, we don't really want the answer to, we just want to tell somebody why they're wrong. We really don't want to hear them, we just want to explain to them why my way is better than your way. And in a lot of ways it is completely devoid of Jesus' heart for people when we don't ask honest questions. It's amazing to me how often this happens and, unfortunately, how often I can function in this way where there's information that I actually really need but I actually don't want the information because I've already made up my mind. Am I the only one who gets like that? But oftentimes, we really don't want the answers. We just want to feel how we feel. We want to justify our actions. And the chief priest And the elders here? They don't really want to know. And we find that out. See, Jesus's question to them actually brings out the fact that they aren't really truth seekers. They say that they are, but they're really not. It reminds me of that great movie, right? A Few Good Men. Do you remember that? That was all the way back in the early 90s. I mean, a lot of you weren't even born then, you know? It's like that great movie, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, right? Remember this thing? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I think the thing is, the reason we can't handle the truth is a lot of us don't really want the truth. And the chief priests and the they don't really want, they just want to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus. That's what this question is about. What authority? Who gave you the right to do this? So Jesus wants to draw them out. So he says, look, you answer my question, I'll answer yours. He says, the baptism of John, where is it from, from heaven or from men? It's a great question. See, what Jesus is doing is, Jesus is pushing back on them and saying, listen, you want to understand authority? Let's talk about John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was the forerunner Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist declared that he who is coming after me is greater than me, and his sandal strap I'm not even worthy to lose. He's saying John's ministry was to point, be the way preparer for Jesus. In a sense, John the Baptist was the flower girl for the bride. The flower girl's job is to throw the petals down. Why? So that the bride can walk over and it be beautiful. That was John the Baptist's job. Right? So he's saying, so John's baptism, and really the idea, the baptism was the big event of John's ministry, of course, was baptizing people to show that they wanted to repent, that they wanted to turn from their own way and turn to God. So the baptism of John speaks of his whole ministry, and he says, Listen, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? Was it heavenly or earthly? Was it eternal or temporal? What's at stake here? And you notice these guys, they go away and they start reasoning amongst themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? And if we say "From men, well, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. See, Jesus put them in a challenging situation because by Jesus asking the question, what Jesus is saying to them is, you guys really don't care what's real and what's not. You don't really care. All you want is to save face. Because if you say it's from heaven, then Jesus is gonna come back and say, well, why didn't you believe him? And if you say it's from the earth, well, all the people honored John the Baptist. They knew he was a prophet. been the first prophet in Israel in many, many centuries at that point. But this reminds me of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 12, which says, a scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. Think about that. A scoffer does not love the one who corrects them. See, a scoffer is somebody who, in the face of what is true, doesn't want the truth. Someone who would really rather be ignorant than to know the truth. And when somebody is corrected, the scoffer doesn't love them for it, nor will they go to the wise. Why? Because ignorance is bliss in that way. As I always like to say, although ignorance is bliss, ignorance is also Ignorance. It's never a good thing. But you got to ask yourself this question because you got to remember, the chief priests and the elders, these were deeply religious people. People who took their faith very seriously. But in the coming face-to-face with Jesus, they really don't want to know the truth. They don't really want to know who he is. They don't want to know if what they're doing is wrong. All they want to do is save face. And they realize it. Because if they say... That it's of men, they're cowards. They just want to keep everyone happy. If they stay from heaven, then they're hypocrites because they're really not chief priests. They're really not leaders of the people. They're missing what God is doing. So what do they do? They come to Jesus and know what they say to him? They say, we don't know. Wow. It's like, we don't know the answer. And then Jesus says, okay, if you don't know the answer, I'm not going to tell you either. Because you know what Jesus does? Jesus says to him, look, you do know the answer, but you're too scared to say it. And so if you can't handle that question, then you can't handle by what authority I'm functioning in. So brothers and sisters, are you asking honest questions? I want to encourage, God's not scared of your questions. And we shouldn't be scared of God's answers because we want to know the truth because that truth will set us free and we get to walk in that truth. And when we walk in the truth that is the light of Jesus, then God will do an amazing transformational work in our lives. But you have to be willing to ask honest questions and not get mad at the answers. You know what I found as a pastor, oftentimes... I get the pleasure, and not only me, but the pastors on our staff, we get the pleasure of speaking into people's lives. People come and they bring stuff to us. But the number of times that somebody is asking something and from the Bible, one of our pastors will say, well, look at this and look at this, and you might want to check this. Most often they say, oh, you guys are just mean. You don't understand. You're judgmental. It's like, no, no, our job is to tell you what this book says. But oftentimes, you know what we do? We really just want to justify our own actions. That's what we want to do. Listen, you can say, well, the pastors do want to do the same thing. They do. We do. We're all struggling with this. But oftentimes, we get mad at the messenger because we don't really want to know the truth. And how many of you here right now, there's some area of your life where you know from the scriptures or because someone's told you that that's not the way you should do it, but you're doing it anyway. In those situations, we all need to say, God, I'm going to change my mind. That's what the word repentance means. It means to change your minds. You're, you agree with God of what the right way is and you change directions. How many of us need to change directions right now? Because we don't want to make the mistake. The chief priests and the elders, they had all of the trappings of being very spiritual. All the outward, external, they had the admiration of the people, they had great titlings, they were very serious about all this stuff. But when push comes to shove, they really don't want to know the God who they say they believe in, who they say they serve, and they don't want to be a part of what that God is doing in their own generation. You want some real talk, my friends? We need to ask honest questions. And when the answers to those questions challenge us to the core, say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I want you to increase And I want to decrease. God, I want to humble myself under your mighty hand that you may exalt me. God, because you are perfect and I am not, God, will you teach me to trust you in your plans and I take my hands off of my plans? How different would the rest of Matthew's gospel play out if that's what happened? But what goes on from here? is that Jesus knows that a story will work the best. And really from this point here, right? So I'm at Matthew 21 in verse 28. You get three different stories that Jesus tells to the chief priests and to the elders about what's really going on. And all three of those stories are letting them know you might be a chief priest entitled title. But you are outside of God's kingdom. You might have all the trappings of religion, but you are not part of God's family. That's where he goes. Now, today I'm only going to take one of those stories, but I want to encourage you. I'm going to take verses 28 to 32, but I want to encourage you to read the parable of the wicked vine dressers, verses 33 to the end of the chapter, and then the parable of the wedding feast, which is the first 14 verses of Matthew 22. I want you to read them in your own time. Jesus is using stories now to explain to them, although you are very religious, you are not part of the family of God. There's something else going on. You have completely missed the boat. So I want to focus on the parable of the two sons from verses 28 to 32. Let me read it to you, and then we'll break it open. Look at what it says. Jesus says, but what do you think? A man has two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. Verse 30, then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Jesus is real.
0: How do you respond when you're challenged? What do you do when you're confronted? Today, Pastor Daniel shared that God's truth makes you face the crooked parts of your life, areas where you're not living like he wants you to. You are challenged to have a teachable spirit, to let the truth sink in and change you. Unlike the Pharisees, you can experience more of the deep, full life that Jesus came to give as you listen to the concerns that people bring up. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here
1: to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well. From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you,
0: and that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at jesusisrealradio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will help you unpack a parable Jesus shared with the people he was with. In this parable, a father asked his two sons to help work in the family vineyard. You'll see that like this father, God is asking you to work and share the good news of his love and grace with the people around you. And like the sons, you have the opportunity to respond. Will you say yes and do what the Lord asks of you, or will you do your own thing? There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Real Talk. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.